Hello, this is Ruth Haley Barton, and you are listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a good friend. Uh, Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means that we have been on the transformational journey together, laughing, sometimes crying, growing, and experiencing Christ's transforming presence in community with other leaders. This season, we're working through, talking through, and praying through one of our transforming resources, The Deeper Journey by M. Robert Mulholland Jr. We're recording these during the Lenten season, and all of our current podcast patrons have received the digital version of our updated resource, Lent, A Season of Returning. Right now, when you become a patron at any level, you will immediately receive this popular resource written by Ruth Haley Barton. Support from our patrons is the engine that keeps this podcast going. So we invite you to visit transformingcenter.org slash patron today and become a patron. Your support at any level is so encouraging. Hello, friends, and we are so excited to be launching this new podcast season. And Steve and I are recording during Lent, and so I'm going to mention Lent now and know that we're all sort of entering into Lent through Ash Wednesday together. And as we do that, we realize that Lent is a season of returning, returning to God with all of our hearts, the book of Joel talks about. And because we're returning to God, it also means that we're returning to ourselves because our very lives are hidden with Christ in God. And so when we return to God, we're also returning to our authentic selves. And there are lots of obstacles for that in the spiritual journey. And Lent is a time when we allow God to make us aware of the obstacles to returning to God with all of our hearts, to finding our true selves in God, and to use practices that will help us to set those obstacles aside or to press through them so that we return to God and thus return to our true selves. In this particular season, we'd like to enter into a conversation about The Deeper Journey by Dr. Bob Mulholland, who is one of our teachers. I personally believe that this book uh, came out ahead of its time. It was published first in 2006, and many things were different about our world in 2006. Then the Transforming Center picked it up and uh, made it a transforming resource in 2016. And so what I'm aware of is just how timeless Bob's teachings are. But I also think that in 2006, we even as a culture and as a Christian culture knew much less about the false self. And so maybe we weren't as ready for it as we are right now. But for many, many reasons, I think we as Christians and Christian leaders are much more aware of the dynamic of the false self and maybe even more ready to enter into Bob's teachings on the deeper journey, the journey towards uh, discovering our true self in God. So if you'd like to pick this book up, we hope that you will either on our online store or Amazon or any place that you purchase books so that you can track along because this is going to be the deep weeds, right, Steve? Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) We're going to try to swim in the deep end of the pool together. um, And you might want to be able to actually read as well as listening to our comments. Thanks, Ruth, for that intro. I agree. This is the deeper journey. And there's even some sense of trepidation that I'm feeling as I'm looking at this conversation. But I'm also feeling hopeful because this is such an ongoing question that I have for my own life as a pastor, as a husband, as a leader. What is my false self? What is my true self? And how do we get into living a life that is more about the true self, the Christ self? 
So the book is The Deeper Journey, The Spirituality of Discovering Your True Self. And before we jump into the conversation about the book, though, I want to point out that we are really talking about the spiritual practice of the examen, the way our Christian tradition offers it up to us. And of course, our Christian tradition offers it up to us straight out of Psalm 139, where the psalmist is actually asking God to search me and know me. Uh, try me and know my thoughts, test me, see if there be any wicked way or any hurtful way or unproductive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And of course, Lent is a season where we focus on self-examination, leading to self-knowledge and then leading to confession. And, And real repentance, actually, is one of the main practices of Lent. But I think there are many seasons when we are invited into self-examine, not just the Lenten season. There are times in our lives where we as leaders are pointed towards self-examination and where one of the most important things that God might be doing in our lives and is doing in our lives is pointing us to this practice because there are aspects of our leadership, aspects of the way that we're functioning in the world that really do need to be exposed for the false patterns that they are. Uh, Of course, we're also um, recording now in a season of political contention and really the worst I've ever experienced in my own life. And I think leadership is just out there for everybody to watch and observe. And we're all asking questions about what is leadership, what's transforming leadership, what's deforming leadership, who's leading well, who's not. Um, The subject of leadership is really big and the false aspects of leadership. And so this is a season, I think, for us as leaders, not just to look at other people and judge their leadership, But it's a season when we, too, I think, are called to look at our own leadership and to wonder whether or not we're leading from that which is false within us or that which is true. So I want to locate this season in the Christian practice of the examen, self-knowledge, self-examination, repentance, and confession, because I believe that the book, The Deeper Journey, is a tool that God can use in our lives to help us enter into those practices in really concrete ways. Well, Ruth, thanks for that. Thanks for that rooting us in the practice of examen. And it's bigger than Lent. It's something that is really important, as you said, for examining our own lives, for looking at leadership that is true, that has integrity. And this book is just going to be a gift. And I am excited to talk about it with you. Can I throw a question at you, Ruth, as we start? Would you mind if I did that? Let's jump into the deep end. I'm ready. Okay. So if I'm reading Mulholland right, at the very beginning, he says that becoming Christ-like is not the goal of the Christian life. It's the outcome of the goal. Mm -hmm. So what's the goal? The goal in Mulholland's writing, and I think he's absolutely correct, the goal is being in loving union with God. And he uses that phrase and variants of that phrase all the way throughout the book to describe where the Christian life is really heading. Um, and I think it's interesting because many of us as Christians, I, I think, don't don't see it that way or we don't use that kind of language. And one of the things that I'm struck with early on in his book is that the language of being like Christ to me is a little bit different than being in deep loving union with Christ. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Actually, and I don't want to be weird, but for years I've said, I don't like the phrase, Mm -hmm. uh, the goal is to be like Christ because I, I, I want to be with Christ is, Mm -hmm. is what I say. 
And then that leads us to a whole lot of other questions. But I, I do think that's what Mulholland's getting to, yeah. to be in loving union with God. But I like how he phrases mm-hmm. that too, loving Union. union with God, yes, or with Christ. And what I thought about as I was reading the book again in preparation for this conversation is the metaphor of marriage, is that in marriage, the goal is loving union. Mm. It's not just being exactly like each other. You know, right. in fact, that could never happen in my marriage. I don't know about yours, but <laughs> or how my, boring. my husband and I are never going to be exactly like each other or even remotely like each no. other. Um, but we can experience loving union and that's the goal of living our lives together. And it's the goal of, of our cultivation of our relationship is union. And I just think that the language of imitation and being like Christ, while it is biblical and so I'm not setting it aside completely, but, but there's a different, it, it takes you to a slightly different place, I think, to try to be like, or to imitate versus to be in loving union and to have everything that, that you do and say, come out of that union, you know? Yeah, because it's, it's, and this is why true self is so important to be in loving union with my spouse or a friend or Christ. Mm -hmm. I have to bring myself to that union. Um, Sometimes I hear people say, I just want to lose myself completely in Christ or in God. And only, you know, God only sees Christ when he sees me. And even in that, I I think Mm -hmm. I don't like what that is saying. And so I think this journey of discovering the true self and moving away from false self, letting the false self be crucified, and we'll talk about that a lot, um, is is the goal. And so I love that. But I think also at the outset, there's this framing question that I think is important, Ruth, is that Mulholland is not talking about uh, just a one-on-one relationship. He's talking about something that affects the world. How does how does Mulholland begin to see union with Christ as something that is good for the world? Well, his phrase and his distinction to be in God for the world versus to be in the world for God, which I know we've talked about before, but you can never talk about that <laughs> distinction too much. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I find myself just repeating it in my mind so I don't forget mm-hmm. that the goal is to be in God for the world, not to be in the world for God, because he talks about the fact that being in the world for God can actually stir up our egos and our sense that we can do something, you know, things like that, as opposed to being in God for the world and letting God bring out what God's going to bring out of our union um, at any time and in any place and to just be utterly abandoned to that versus this ego-driven, I'm going to get out there and change the world, you know. Um, And so union with God and living in union means that God's presence is touching the world through me, which yeah. is a deep thought. It's yeah. a deep thought. Um, and I, it, you know, I don't think we mean to be self-aggrandizing in saying that. But when we are living in God and in deep union with God, that means that when people touch us, they're touching that union, you know? That they're they're experiencing God in some mysterious way. So I think that's an important distinction. Um, and, you know, Bob's going to take us to some really challenging places if we let, if we let him <laughs> in yep. this book. So this idea that the world will not believe in Christ because of our sound theology, our correct creed, our well-defined dogma, our rigorous religiosity. Who, um, 
Why do you think we make so much about our dogmas and our theologies and so little about this union? You know, like, have we got it all flipped around? I, I think it's our sociological preference is to stay within our tribes, you know, and mm. I'm not saying tribe in a weird way, but I'm, I'm saying that we, and, and we typically define our tribes in Christianity anyway, Protestantism by what we believe. And so it's how we differentiate us from them. And I think it's that's it's really slippery because once we start doing that and making the differentiations, then we start saying I'm right and you're wrong. And then we start moving away from loving union. But I think it's our self-preservation that that takes us there. But here's the thing, Steve, and it gets to your comment. Union is sort of an out of control experience. Don't you agree? Like when you are really in union with someone, you are not in control anymore. And I think that's why many, many of us don't want to move towards that union because we know that we will no longer be in control. Even in our work in the Transforming Center, you know, which is, you know, leading people towards this abandonment and surrender and opening and receptivity. Some people are really nervous about that. And so they get close to saying, yes, I want to be on that journey. And then they back away. And oftentimes it is about their own fear or someone else's fear for them if they should begin to take that journey. Um, and it's just so interesting because we want it. But on the other hand, it's a threat and it frightens us, I think. Um, and, and for the precise reason that all of our theologies and our dogmas and our creeds keep us feeling like we've got this thing. You know, I've got this God thing. I understand it. I know it. I have a what we believe statement. <laughs> yes. And I've got it. I've got it. I've got God and I've got it. And I feel I'm, like I'm in control. And so abandonment to union with God and to surrender with God is a very different kind of thing. I think God brings us in bit by bit and moment yeah. by moment. And God, mm -hmm. God, and that's the grace you know, and, and when I think about it in terms of how the transforming communities are structured, you don't start with rule of life. <laughs> That's where we end. You know, you start with being able to sit in silence and that's sometimes all you can do at first. And so how do you see? Well, we don't even start there. I mean, we don't <laughs> even start right. with that's silence right. because that's too uncomfortable. Start desire. We start with desire. We start with rest. Like, could we experience a little bit of rest in God and see that as part of the relationship, see that as intimate, you know, just learning to rest in right. God. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, it is, we call it a brick on brick approach, yep. but I yep. think you're right to call it bit by bit too, that we, we can't, most of us don't make the choice to jump all the way into the deep end of the pool. Um, we want to walk in and get our big toe in there. And then, you know, yeah. we walk a little further and we start to get used to the water and then, you know, and, and it happens, you know, for most of us in a gradual way. Um, and it, you know, going back to the, the marriage metaphor, you don't go from your first date to getting married, right? You know, you take steps to getting to know that person until you're ready to abandon yourself to the best of your ability to this commitment we call marriage, you know? Um, and so I think, I think it's that way with God too. And I think it's how we as human beings are made and wired. And doesn't it also point to God's patience with us, God's mm. loving patience and not pushing us beyond what we're capable of. We all have a lot to learn about that. You know, how can we be patient with each other on our journeys?
To Ruth, this is a big question, but I think it's an important one. Why would anyone say yes to this deeper journey? Well, I think there comes a point in all of our lives when we realize that who we are in our sinful stuck selves isn't getting us where we want to go, that we feel bondage. I mean, that that's the way I would talk about it is that we realize that we are in bondage, that we are living that experience Paul talks about when he says, when I want to do good, evil is close at hand. There, there's a desire to do and to be better, but we're not able to get there at all on our own. Um, and I think there's also, as life goes on, the longing for meaning, the longing for surrender, to be surrendered to something that's bigger and more than ourselves, to not live our lives like a selfish clod, you know, which might be satisfying in the short term, but is not satisfying in the long term at all. And so I think we do have to experience a deep kind of longing for the more, um, for, for surrender, for abandonment, for meaning, for, um, a different way of being in the world that's not about our own selfishness and self-referencedness, which is another phrase that we'll talk about as we go on. So, um, you, you know, you can't force someone to be in a place where they want this, but I will tell right. you that if you live on the earth long enough and stay on the journey long enough, you will eventually come to the place where you want something that's really different than what you've experienced so far through your own human effort. I agree, Ruth. It's like you, things work until they don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you have to say, what, what next? Mm -hmm. And to me, this is what's next for many of us who are tired of our own false self narratives and the mm -hmm. ways that we wound ourselves and others. I'm tired of it myself for my own self. I'm tired of dealing with my false self. And I have to believe that I'm not going to get over it by some, by beating it up or trying to force it out. Loving union with God might just eventually be so good that it would start to crucify the false self, mm -hmm. I think. And um, boy, but it's a journey. It, it is a journey. You mentioned the examen at the very beginning of this episode. I wonder if it'd be a good, a good time to sort of review what that is and how that is a practice that would help us even begin to name false self and true self patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, you know, Psalm 139 is definitely an Old Testament reference to the examen, but I'm also thinking right now about the Apostle Paul because, you know, Mulholland talks about Paul as being an expert in the false self. And yeah. I thought, wow, that's not anything you would actually aspire to, but you know, <laughs> but Bob talk, t talks about Paul as an expert in the false self. And I think about his phrase that I think just sort of screamed out of him when he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, yes. you know, who's going to free me from this body of death. Um, yes. you know, that's another place where really Paul is crying out to be freed, to be freed from the bondage to false self patterns. And so the examen is really an opportunity for all of us to be very receptive before God. This is not an exercise in morbid introspection or thinking really, really hard about ourselves, but it's um, a posture of open receptivity to what God wants to expose and what God wants to reveal about our patterns. Um, and of course, in Psalm 139, which is, which is such a beautiful description of what the examen looks like, 
David has right before those verses just vomited out his mm-hmm. anger and his rage um, at those who are unrighteous, those who do not seek God. And he really is saying to God, I don't have any idea whether this stuff is good or bad, sinful mm-hmm. or righteous. I have no mm-hmm. idea at all. God, you're going to help have to help me even know what my negative patterns are. And um, it's such a, a, a vulnerable, open, receptive posture with God to say, will you show me what mm-hmm. I need to see and what I can't see right now. Or we might have the experience of being in, bo- in bondage to a particular pattern, but we don't even know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. We don't know why we're so stuck. We don't know why all of our human efforts to change it hasn't changed it. And mm-hmm. so it very much reminds me of Eustace in the Narnia story where the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, where <clears throat> he tries really hard to get the scaly uh, layers of his own skin off when he becomes a dragon, but but he can't. They're, they're, mm. The one that really matters is too hard. It's too connected. It's too integrated with his whole self to get it off himself. And so Aslan finally says, you'll have to let me undress you. And then mm. Eustace says, and so I just laid right down and let him do it. I think that's where we are in this part of the journey, that up until the, this point, we've actually tried some stuff ourselves. Yep. Now we've tried to do spiritual practices. We've tried therapy. We've tried um, to work really, really hard at being a different kind of person. But the deeper journey calls to us when we realize that everything we've tried hasn't worked. And we're still in very deep ways stuck yep. in our false self patterns. And the desire to become undragoned, the desire to, to be a little boy or a little girl again versus the dragon self it becomes so strong that you lay back and let him do it. You say, whatever it is, I'll do it because I so want to be different. I don't want to be stuck like this anymore. I think that's what motivates us in the end. Um, And you have, it takes some journeying to even get to that place of desperation. Don't you think? Ruth, even as you were talking about Eustace, and I love that. It's probably my favorite of all seven of the books, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But I found my own soul sort of, welling up toward this is what i want mm-hmm. um and i feel like there's a way in which when you get to that stuck point you feel like you're at a dead end and and there's nowhere to go but really if i'm hearing you right and if i'm reading mulholland right no actually that's the gateway that 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 you're you're very close <laughs> at mm-hmm. that point you're very close you're on the deeper journey because your desire is quickened so much toward wanting only that and you're, mm-hmm. you're, I'm, I'll, I'll say me, I'm personally tired of all of the ways in which I've sought God and through my own achievement or through being right or leading my church through change. And what I want is union. So I think we could say that if somebody's not ready, it's okay. Yeah. You know, um, just let it go for now because when we are ready, it will become clear and we won't be, be able to even think about anything else once yeah. we get to that point of, of being ready. So um, I'm glad that we're ending this conversation, Steve, by, by getting in touch with that stirring of desire, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think about marriage again, I'm bringing marriage back up again, um, that marriage requires this kind of change and this kind of stripping away of false self patterns when we realize they are an obstacle to union, yeah, you know, and we let our, and we, we, we realize my desire for this marriage and my desire for, for 
this marriage to be union, my desire to be a better person in this marriage makes me willing to die to certain aspects of myself. Yeah. And, and I think it's the same is true with God, that mm-hmm. as we go further into this book, we're going to talk about some of the obstacles and they are real. Yeah. But when you're in touch with the desire to have union with God and to live in union and in surrender and abandonment, then you're willing to work through the obstacles because of what you want that's even deeper than that. So, yes. So it's and a, we take it's pretty, it brick by brick and bit by bit, right? So we don't, yeah. yes, it's overwhelming, but it doesn't need to be necessarily God will stand at the door and knock. And if we invite, God in, God will do the work. Yes. God will not reveal to us any more than we're able to bear in any given moment. Mm. And thanks be to God for that. That is grace. (laughs) (laughs) Grace. Yes. Ruth, I wonder if you would like to end the episode with a prayer. Um, in Mulholland's book, The Deeper Journey, he actually offers up some prayers. And so um, I'm going to offer one that he prays at the beginning of the book. And I think it's a good prayer for us as we begin this podcast season. And remember, we're inviting you to see this season as a practice versus just listening while you're on the treadmill or um, cleaning up the dishes or driving in your car to actually have the opportunity to open yourself up in prayer at the end um, by being still, by being someplace where you could even light a candle, um, where you may be even jotting down some of the thoughts and phrases that you want to return to, especially if you're reading along in the book. Um, And so I hope that you have listened in that way today so that you can perhaps uh, light a candle And then settle into that position of prayer, that open receptivity, back straight with your feet flat on the floor, your hands open on your lap. Um, Or maybe you even want to lay back with your arms open as a way of saying to God, I, I know that what needs to be done in my life, you're going to have to do it and I'm surrendering to that even now. So how can your body say that to God? How can you say it with your body as we hear this prayer at the beginning of this season? Gracious and loving God, in love you spoke me into being before the foundation of the world. Your love has enfolded and indwelled me through all the winding paths of my life. And your love has prepared me for this journey. Your love has brought me here. Help me so to open myself to your indwelling love that this journey might be a season of transforming encounter with you. I ask this for the sake of your love and my desire. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this podcast has strengthened the soul of your leadership in some way. Creating space to hear from God is the most strategic thing you can do in your leadership, whether you're leading the church or in some other setting. If you find yourself wondering if you're sacrificing the health of your heart and soul for the sake of ministry, consider joining the next Transforming Community. 
a practice-based spiritual formation experience for leaders offered in nine quarterly retreats. The whole experience is grounded in scripture and in the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage, and each retreat guides leaders in reclaiming practices and experiences spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to open themselves to God's transforming work. Learn more and apply by visiting transformingcenter.org slash TC.